Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. This is going to be a very useful interview today. We are with the one and only Sharon Mazel. She is a pregnancy and parenting expert, New York Times bestselling author, parenting coach, speaker. She has co-authored the best-selling What to Expect When You're Expecting books and many other popular books in the series. And she's also a mom of four and a grandma. So she's got a lot of information for us. And it's actually perfect timing because Lexi here, my lovely co-host, is expecting twins and she is six weeks away from having four kids four and under. So uh, Lex, how do you feel about this interview? <laughs> I just said, I, I hope I leave feeling less anxious <laughs> from all of the guidance. But as we were talking, I realized there's so many things coming up that I haven't even gone there yet in my mind. Because as anyone knows who has more than one baby, when the second comes or the third and the fourth at the same time, like you forget everything, (laughs) everything. It's just gone in full blank slate here in my mind, especially linked to twins. So we're so excited to have you today and to dive into just the wealth of knowledge that you have around, you know, newborns, but also I think we're going to touch upon the entire first year um, of your baby's life. So we're, uh, we can't wait. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. And my mission now is really to try to tamp down on some of the overwhelm. So Lexi, we'll we'll try to make sure that we end this without you feeling more stressed out. And and hopefully we'll get there. And and really, it's it's what I do and everything that I do on Instagram. Um, I'm no longer involved in the What to Expect books, but I am writing um, a brand new book called Bite Size Parenting, which really is Um, designed to help cut down on the overwhelm and the information to really get right to the core of what parents need to know. So um, we're going to try to make sure you leave stress-free. Bite-sized parenting sounds really nice, doesn't it? It does. And I'm I'm just sitting here reflecting and I'm just like, gosh, you have such a calming energy around you, Sharon. And I am like, you are exactly the person that I feel would bring a sense of confidence and non judgment to parenting decisions. And I think that's such a hot topic we need to dive into right away because, you know, we were chatting about this before we started recording and there can be so much judgment, both from other parents, but especially within your own family for the decisions that you make around parenting in the first year. So what would you say to anybody regarding how to navigate that? I think that there's nothing that brings out unsolicited advice or um, judgment, as you put it, than a new baby um, or a new parent. And it's, you know, it's overwhelming in and of, of itself when you have a brand new child that you are responsible for. And then you go out into the street or into the supermarket or into the, to, you know, just, just walking into the playground and people will stop you and say, you're dressing the baby too warmly. You're not dressing the baby warmly enough. Um, you know, the, the, are you feeding this way? Are you feeding that way? Oh, you're breastfeeding or you're bottle feeding. There is so, even if they don't mean to be judgmental, they are. And we hear it that way as parents, because our biggest worry is, am I doing it right? And so we all of a sudden hear from a grandparent, from a neighbor, from a friend, from our sister, 
oh, my baby was already doing it, this at, the, at the, this age. How come yours isn't? And we start to worry, what am I doing wrong? Because all we want to do is do it right and do the best that we can for our child. And it's that just adds to the stress that we already have. And I feel like it's so unfortunate that our society does that, obviously, with social media and online, um, everything that's out there, right? You have this unnatural um, expectation that the world places on new parents. You have to look this way. You have to feel this way. You have to act this way. You have to be feeling like you're doing everything perfect. You have to feel like you know what the heck you're doing. And none of it is actually the reality of, of our experience as parents. The reality is, is that we don't look like the moms on social media are pretending to look. You know, we're, we're barely getting a shower, let alone, you know, doing our hair up. Um, we don't, always feel that we have everything under control or that we're doing everything right. And so the judgment really like digs at us in a way that makes it feel even worse and makes us question ourselves. And I think that that is, that's certainly something that I'm trying to, uh, to, to do with my new book, with my coaching, with everything that I do on social media is really trying to get back down to the basics, um, but also get moms and dads to really understand what the reality is. And the reality is, is that it's not going to feel perfect. It's not going to be perfect. There is no such thing as being a perfect parent. There is no such thing. I will say that again. There is no such thing as being a perfect parent. And the truth is, is that aside from safety issues, right, how to, um, how to you know, keep your baby healthy or how to make sure that your baby sleeps in a safe way, aside from those type of safety issues, there is no one right way to parent. And so you can choose to parent your baby in one way. And the neighbor that you happen to pass in the hallway of your apartment building who tells you you're doing something wrong has chosen a different way. And it, both of you are right or neither of you is wrong because there is no one right way to parent. And so if parents can really like internalize this message of you are doing the best for your baby when it feels right for you. When you choose a parenting philosophy or how to dress your baby or how to breastfeed or bottle feed your baby or formula feed your baby or what to start or what method to start solids with or um, when to start toilet training, right, which is later on, you know, beyond the first year, obviously beyond the second year sometimes, whether to use a bassinet or a crib in the beginning, whether to swaddle or not, all of these things doesn't really matter because you can choose one way or the other, whether to sleep train or not. Your baby will be fine no matter what you do. And as long as you are feeling confident and empowered in your own choices, you're going to be great. Your baby's going to be great. You're doing it, quote unquote, right. Even though there is no one right way of doing it, if you feel that it's right, then it is right for you and your child. I just want to give you a loudspeaker to say that everywhere, like a <laughs> megaphone. <laughs> we need this I try, message. I'm yeah, it's true. It's such an important message. And I feel like we don't give ourselves enough grace as parents to be able to say, it's okay that I've chosen this way and somebody else hasn't. Again, aside from the safety stuff, your baby will be fine. It doesn't really make a difference. There are no studies out there. And believe me, I pour through the journals and the studies and the articles. I've been doing this for over 20 years. There are no studies that say that if you do if you swaddle your baby, your baby will get into Harvard versus if you don't swaddle your baby, right? These are not, nothing is really materially going to change. But if you don't feel confident in the choices that you've made as a parent, 
that then will translate into you feeling unsure, your baby sensing this ambivalence that you have. And that is more problematic than whether you choose to swaddle or not. Choose what feels right for you. Your baby will be fine. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> Interview over. Funny. No kidding, kidding. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> I already feel better. <laughs> oh, good. See? Oh, how do you so how do you navigate that though with with like, you know, the lady at the cash register? Yeah. I mean, it's obviously easy to brush off strangers' comments because you're like, whatever. I mean, I'm not gonna see you again. But what if it's coming from within your family? Like you're doing this wrong, or you know, you should start with rice cereal. What do you mean you're giving them egg yolks and avocados and chicken liver or whatever? So what is this whole they're gonna choke with baby led weeding? We only give purees. I don't, you know, you know what I'm going I'm yeah. going after here. So how do you handle navigating that? Do you have any specific scripts or lines or <laughs> things, tools you can give give parents? Yeah, and I love the way you just said that. Do you have specific scripts? And I always advise parents to really have those scripts in mind, in their head, so that it's not like you're not fumbling when that person or that grandmother or, or grandfather or, or um, you know, your, your best friend says, hmm, you're doing it that way? I'm not so sure. So have that script. You can say, there's a bunch of things you can say. You can just say, oh, that's so interesting. I, I, I'll think about that. Thank you, right, if you want to be like that. Or you can say... Um, you know what, I've spoken to my pediatrician, and he or she says X. And I'm going to follow my pediatrician's advice. I always feel like if you could blame it on the doctor, <laughs> then you know that like, what is what's the comeback to that? Like, no, the doctor's wrong. So that's always a, a, an easy way of getting out of it. Um, so having those like lines in your head beforehand, um, you can just even pretend to agree or, or just say, wow, that's so interesting. I never heard that or I never thought that I've read X, but I'd love to like think about it more. Thank you for letting me know. And this way it kind of, you know, especially if you're talking about family members, it smooths over or like, let's say, uh, you know, in-law, <laughs> right? It smooths over some of the familial uh, tension, but then you just go and do your own thing because again, you're the parent, <laughs> you're the parent. And it is stressful, especially if you're, um, let's say, in your in-law's house and the, your mother or father-in-law is saying, hmm, baby led weaning, you know, your baby's going to choke. And you can help teach. You know, I, have, I have so many grandparents who follow me because they want to learn, um, you know, what to do with their grandchildren. And I love that. Um, so it's not just, you know, brand new parents who are, who are following me or reading my stuff. Um, and I think that that's great. And if you can really help the 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 family members in in your life to to say you know oh, read this or look at this infographic on Instagram or or you know let's I've actually I do coaching one on one coaching I've had grandparents sit in on the on the coaching and you could see they're like jaw dropping sometimes because I'll say some of the newer recommendations and they'll be like we didn't do it that way and 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 I'll be like yeah but you know what we know more now right and think about the, the olden days when when we didn't strap babies into car seats, right? We would take babies home. I think about like the way that, you know, probably that I was brought home from the hospital. It was not in a car seat. Um, and, and that's, so yes, I survived it. But that doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do now because now we have more information. We know more and we're able to write um, expert recommendations based on data and science and research. And so things inevitably will change. And that's a good thing, I think, because it makes everybody safer. Yeah. This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. 
You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth. Or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. Women deserve better. I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WEGOTHERE10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. And is there a balance, like I find with, and and it's friend to friend, like mom to mom, you have some that will just dive in every book possible, right? Like educate themselves on all the things. And I'm more of the, like, okay, if it's one highly recommended or I do Nikki's course, cause you know, I know that that's a great thing to do and, and, and the knowledge that she'll give me, but is there a balance? Because a lot of what you're talking about is, you know, follow what you feel is best in your intuition and a mom's intuition um, or a parent's intuition. But is there kind of like a balance between how much to educate yourself? Because like you're talking about things are changing and we are just saying about, um, I was having a conversation with some friends of mine and they're talking about when you start to introduce solids and when I did it two years ago, even is not when apparently you're supposed to do it today, which was shocking to me. And now, you know, hence the anxiety buildup of all the things. <laughs> so is there a balance between how much you educate yourself, how much you leave to your intuition um, and staying on top of like the changing times? There definitely is a balance. I think one of the reasons why parents today are so overwhelmed is because there is there is an overwhelming amount of information out there. It used to be, right, pre-internet days, you just could read books. Now you can read books. Now you can go on social media. You can read blogs. There are websites. There is so much information out there that and I'm a I'm big information person. I'm a journalist by trade. This is what I do. Um, information is power. And knowledge is power but too much information can be overwhelming. And so what I always stress um, to parents that I talk to um, is find, you know, create your tribe, find the people that you trust. That could be a sister, a brother, a family member. It could be an expert on social media. It could be an expert um, who you've met uh, through your own travels. There are people who who are experts in their field because they do all the research. Find someone who you know is evidence-based. Um, if I ever put anything out, let's say on, on you know on a blog of mine or on a, a social media, everything is is evidence-based. It comes from recommendations from the expert medical organizations. It comes from studies. I put sources on all my articles that I put online um, in my book. Everything is sourced because it's not just my opinion. So yes, I have opinions, but they're all based in the science and the evidence. And so, and I think that as a parent, you have to be a discerning customer. You have to know who the experts are. And then when you find those experts, you don't need to find 20 experts. You can find one or two and stick with them. If you like their philosophy, you like the way they impart knowledge, you trust that they are imparting the knowledge that is um, scientific and research-based. And then ignore the rest because it can get, there's such a cacophony of noise out there that gets overwhelming, especially because, as I said earlier, right, there, there isn't always 
the perfect answer. Sometimes there will be competing, even within the research, competing philosophies or thoughts about how to approach something. So, so Lexi, you mentioned starting solids. So it used to be that, that babies, I mean, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, babies would be fed solids, rice cereal when they were two months old, which if you think about it, is kind of crazy now because we don't start that early. But the reason why we don't start that early now is because there has been research and we have seen the change and the data that has led us to understand that that is not safe for babies at two months old. The recommendations now are to start as close as possible to six months old. And when you're starting at six months old, you can either choose to start with purees or you can start with baby load weaning, which is finger food. And there is no one right answer to that. Or you could start with both, by the way. You can do a little bit of both, which I think is the best balance, right? Because you get you, you don't have to be militant in one way or the other. But the the change makes it very confusing for parents because they're like, wait, is it four months? My doctor said four months, I heard five months, and now they're saying six months. Mm-hmm. So again, there is no um, edict that you have to start at six months. The data shows that it is healthier for babies closer to six months. The advantage to waiting, well, there's actually two advantages to waiting until six months. One, I think, is for the parents. It's much easier to bottle feed or to nurse your baby than it is to also bring baby food jars or food and cut it in the right size, et cetera. So the longer you you have without that extra burden, I think is is better. So I always waited six to six months for my kids. Um, the other thing is that we've learned that it's just healthier for a child's digestive system to wait to six months. And also, if you want to do finger foods, which is baby led weaning method, you can't really start those finger foods until six months. So if you start, if you wait to six months, then you have the flexibility of serving purees or finger foods. So, so this is why the recommendations now are for the six month um, for feeding solids. And so it changes not because it's willy nilly or because you know, someone one day just said, oh, let's try this. It's because we know more, right? Think, think about allergies. In the olden days or, or 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, there was this idea to wait to serve allergens because it helps to prevent um, allergies. Studies, huge studies have now taught us that the earlier you introduce allergens, the better. And so starting at six months old, you should be feeding your baby allergens. So um, fish and nuts, not, not whole nuts, of course, but nut butters, um, nut purees, things like that, shellfish, um, uh, dairy, wheat. Those are, those are food items that were always told to be served later uh, in the first year. Now, now we understand serve it early because that helps to reduce the risk of, allergen, of allergies in your baby. Such good information. I actually had a friend um, who's so anxious about the allergies, even though she didn't have a history of peanut allergies, she drove outside the ER and sat with her baby in the car feeding a little bit, a tiny little bit of peanut butter on the cracker to see if anything would happen. But like, it just speaks to, and thankfully everyone was fine, but it just speaks to the anxiety, like the intense anxiety a lot of people do feel about new recommendations that feel unfamiliar to them, that feel a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah. no, and that's a that's an excellent point because parents, we are bombarded with information and it's true that things change so often. And then it's, wait a second, I'm, am I supposed to serve allergens? And am I not supposed to serve allergens? How do I do it? And that really gets very frightening for parents. And so again, trust the experts, trust your doctor, um, trust the information that, that is coming from reliable sources. And then if you think that the stress of of feeding, let's say, peanuts is too much for you, then maybe delegate it to somebody else for the beginning, right, the first few times. Because 
a very stressed out parent is not good for your baby. A little bit of peanuts is fine for your baby. So it's about balancing, you know, your own your own mental health as a parent um, with with all this information that we're being bombarded with. Yeah, I love when you brought up the whole like, um, you know, well, you know, you were, you know, the classic thing that a grandparent might say, well, you didn't have it like that and you turned out okay. I want to share a hilarious story. I didn't realize this until recently. You know, and and I we I've had this conversation with my mom. I'm like, we got to tighten up the car seat buckle a little more. There can't be slack. And she's like, oh, it's fine. I'm like, no, you're supposed to make it really quite tight, like in case blah blah blah, right? And so she, I seem like neurotic, and I am not a neurotic person by by nature. So she's just like, what's your deal? Calm down. Do you know when when you were a baby, we drove to Florida, and I'm like, so where did I sit? She's like, mostly on my lap under the steering wheel. <laughs> I was like, time out, time out. So you drove with me and you were driving on, I was on your lap and you were like, yeah, you were really calm there. You were fussy in the backseat. So I just put you on my lap and we drove for 24 hours from Toronto to Florida with you on my, it's, but it's true. And and you survived. And I'm 40 years old. So this was in the early eighties. Yeah. And my brother was the same. He used to stand in the front seat like the passenger seat he would stand with his hands on the dashboard like that was where he would be (laughs) like it's just yeah like you talk about changing time so that's why your mom's like a little slack's okay (laughs) she's like (laughs) it's so funny I remember piling into the to you know a friend's parents um station wagon wagon in the back right like 40 kids just in the 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 back facing one no seatbelts so oh yeah the back we all were the best (laughs) yeah I loved any friends who had those cars that was the best yeah yeah (laughs) exactly but you know what it so yes it's true we all survived because we're the survivors, right? Unfortunately, many kids did not. Um, and that's why we have these safety, these safety things. Like we talk about safe sleep for, for babies, right? For babies in the first year. When my first was born, and she was born in the late 90s, she, uh, we were told to put our babies um, on their sides to sleep. And very soon, at that time, my second was born, it was already back to sleep. Put your baby on their back to sleep. When I was a baby, I was probably a tummy baby. We all slept on our tummies. Um, and so that that recommendation, of course, has changed. You should put your baby always on their back to sleep, no bumpers or blankets or pillows or anything, um, put plush, uh, even toys in the crib with the babies. Um, so the reason for that is because when the American Academy of Pediatrics changed their recommendations in the, in the mid to late 90s to, um, from tummy sleep to back sleep, there was a dramatic, dramatic drop in in deaths of newborns, of babies, of infants. So that's huge. That says something. That means that, yes, it's true that, you know, our moms may say, oh, but you guys are still here. You all were tummy babies and you were fine. Yes, we're the lucky ones in a way. But there was tragically so many babies that were, 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 that were not fine. And even today, there's around 3,500 babies that die a year from sudden infant death syndrome. And it's usually because of improper positioning for sleep, um, whether it's uh, on an inclined sleeper, right? Babies should always be um, flat when they are sleeping on their backs. Um, A lot of these deaths are from suffocation. They're sharing a bed with the parents and there's too many pillows or comforters around. So these are deaths that can be prevented. And and it's, it's, you know, horrible to think of, of these kind of tragic preventable deaths for the most part, not all of course, but for the most part. And so this type of knowledge um, and change in the recommendations is 
better for all of us. And so if we can try to um, explain that to the naysayers and say, yes, it's true that, you know, you were all fine, we were all fine, but look at how many babies weren't fine and how many more babies that we can um, keep fine and healthy and safe and alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's scary, especially, I mean, you're exhausted as a parent, right? And it's like breastfeeding, trying to stay awake. Like you see how sadly these things can happen. Cause I've, you know, we've all like done the like nod off and all of a sudden you're awake. You're like, Oh my gosh. Or I would always wake up in the middle of the night thinking that Piper or Clark was beside me, even though they were in the bassinet on the other side, but like in the bed. Did you guys, did that yeah. happen to you guys? Like I, so I, I would love to talk about that because I did co-sleep with my little one for quite a while actually. And so, yeah. you know, and I know this is one of those hot topics that people, you know, and I think there were some stats like most people at some point will fall asleep in the bed with their baby, especially yes, if totally. you're nursing, sideline nursing, like you just pass out, baby passes out and you wake up. And it would yeah. be like in that. So is it not correct that it is considered to be a little safer if you are nursing because you tend to adopt a certain position, right? Maybe you can so, clarify yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the it, you can very safely co-sleep or bed share with your baby. The idea is not um, that that being in the same bed with your baby and having the baby and you fall asleep is inherently in and of itself unsafe. What tends to be unsafe is when you bring your baby into your bed and you're pulling the comforter over you to stay warm and then it rides up over your baby or you're, you have lots of pillows. Um, and then, you know, during this, during the middle of the night, when you're, you're sleeping, you're moving things around and that could end up suffocating the baby or there's a he very plush headboard and your baby is too high up and can get caught between the headboard and the mattress. That's when co-sleeping becomes unsafe and why many experts say that obviously a baby in a bassinet or a crib, a safe bassinet or crib doesn't won't encounter those those external adult environments of of the the plush mattress or the comfort or the blanket the pillows etc or the or the ability to to roll into a, a crevice between let's say a mattress or or a headboard so that's where the, the safety issues are so um that you can very safely co-sleep or bed share with your baby and for sure i mean i nursed all four of my babies and absolutely fell asleep in that sideline position it is very comfortable and when you're getting two hours of sleep a night you know you're you're human and so again we have to give ourselves some grace i know it's nerve-wracking but it's okay to to if, if you doze off uh, when you're nursing your baby and there is i think built into nursing moms especially this, it's very unlikely that a nursing mom would roll over or, or press into her baby too much. There is that safety mechanism. Um, new moms actually sleep much lighter than they do at other times in their lives. And that's, I'm sure, a protective mechanism. You know, thank you, Mother Nature, for giving us that. So, so it's, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want new moms um, or dads, right, if, if they're you know, also co-sharing, uh, co-sleeping with their babies, to worry in that way um, about, am I going to do something dangerous as long as again you take those precautions and that you understand and this is where information is 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 important have the information you know what is safe and what is not safe and then do what feels right for you the so the american academy of pediatrics tries to limit bed sharing because they do worry not about the parents who have really looked into it and thought about it and are taking those precautions but they worry about parents who 
let's say, are drinking. And um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, if you're a little, you know, you have a little too much to, to drink and then you roll onto your baby. That's where the danger is. But if you're just doing that 2 a.m. night nursing um, and you've created a safe space for your baby in your own bed, then that's not something that that um, new parents should really stress out about. Again, know, know, know the, the, the data, know the research, know the recommendations, and then choose what works for you. Thank you for clarifying that because it's true because we can, then there can be like guilt around, well, I did this and now I can't talk about it because I'm going to be shamed for it or I did something dangerous when, you know, it, even though it works for me, I feel like I can't talk about it. So I I can empathize with anyone feeling that way for sure. And it's, it's a great point. And it's also hard because in this particular case, the, the American Academy of Pediatrics just came out with brand new um, or, or updated recommendations on safe sleep. And they did come out pretty strongly against bed sharing, um, more so than in previous policy um, statements. So this, and I, I don't know exactly the, the, the intention behind it. I, I haven't looked and they literally just came out with it a few days ago. So I haven't looked at the data behind it. Have there, have there been an increase in, um, in deaths, let's say, in babies who are bed sharing? And I, I will do a little more research into that on my, on my own to see what the impetus for that new harder line that they're taking um, uh, against bed sharing. But I also think that as parents, we have to trust ourselves. And if we know that we're not drinking, if we know that we've created that safe space in our bed and taken away all the pillows and we're lying flat as well, there's no pillow near a baby, that, that we are empowered to take the data, take the information and create for ourselves an environment. And I'm not only talking a physical environment, but the environment of parenting that will be safe and that will work for us. Um, and so that, that, that is where information is so cru- crucial and key um, in, in creating for yourself the parenting Mm-hmm. environment that, that we can raise our kids in. And then once we do that, th- and this is what I, I really encourage parents to, to internalize, once we do that, then we can take a breath Then we could take that deep breath and say, okay, I know, I know the information. I know how to do safe sleep. I know how to do safe feeding for my child. I understand this and I understand that. And these are the choices that I've made. And now I'm going to feel good about it. Now I'm going to feel good about it. And that's so important because as soon as you feel good about the choices that you've made, the clutter from other people, the, the, the noise and the internal noise as well will help us feel better about ourselves as parents. Yeah, for sure. Lexi's soaking it all in. She's like, okay, all right, less anxiety. Here we go. <laughs> Twins coming in six weeks. <laughs> that's it. It's really helpful. And like, Nikki, do you find you feel you don't, I know you share so much, but like, do you share openly about your co-sleeping or oh, do you no. feel like, I mean, now oh, I did, I just did. So, yeah. but oh, <laughs> you've outed yourself. <laughs> no, I, I just, cause it's one of those things where I am not an expert in this field. I don't pretend to be. And yet people look to me as I'm an expert in other areas that are related to, to yeah. childbirth and whatnot. So they often will think, oh, well, you know, if you're coast, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm, this isn't, this is out of, I want to stay in my lane here. So I don't want to put something out there and people misinterpret it as it being, you know, okay. Plus there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. As you just said, there's now a hard line. So it's very easy for someone to say, oh, well, it's really bad that you're doing that. And it's irresponsible that you're doing that, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't really want to, why would I want to 
put myself out there for that. Like it, and I think a lot of people feel similarly, especially with, you know, formula feeding, breastfeeding, like all the, the way you feed your kid, the, you know, and, and obviously I deal with it with birth, you know, people feeling like, you know, they had a cesarean birth and, you know, other people make judgments about how they may perceive that as being an easy way out, even though that's laughing, like that's ridiculous. Of course, it's not the easy way out. It's actually major surgery. So I try to educate around that. But yeah, I think that, that a lot of the times what I, what I love, what you shared, Sharon, is that you're sort of saying like, you need to feel good about the decisions, you know, as a parent that you're making clear the noise, feel like you can really trust an expert and, and try not to let all these competing voices, you know, pull at your attention because there's a lot of different perspectives and it's hard even you. And I love that you mentioned that even sometimes some of the experts disagree on certain things. And I find that the same way in, in the pelvic health world, this is the best way to, to deal with incontinence. No, this is the best way to deal with. And it's just like, well, how, as the consumer or the parent, it's like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Like, come on, can we not just simplify this please? Exactly. I mean, simplifying is, is that's, that's the bite-sized parenting that I'm working on, right? Simplifying it. Lexi here. Okay. So let's shift to another under the radar, not so hot topic for a minute, body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? Ten years ago, I started Wax On Laser and Wax Bar. Wax On isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At WaxOn, we've invested in top-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good for you, and female founded. If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. But I, I, you brought up um, breastfeeding and formula, and I lo- would love to touch on that because that's also a place of judgment, right? What we were talking about in the beginning of, of, of this podcast judgment of what you're 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 giving your baby a bottle of formula like how could you you know breast is best and i say this from a place of recognizing that breast is wonderful right breastfeeding is amazing i i nursed all four of my kids um i i encourage every mom who feels that they want to and can to breastfeed but i also recognize that there are many um new parents out there who can't breastfeed physically who don't want to breastfeed, who try to breastfeed and then find that it is too hard, too exhausting, impossible, uncomfortable, not fun. Um, You know, one of the myths of of becoming a a new mom is that breastfeeding is so natural. I'm just going to put my baby on the breast. She's going to latch on. He's going to suck beautifully. Everything's going to be bliss. And I'm going to have all the oxytocin in my, you know, brain just swirling around. And that's really not true. I mean, it happens for some women that way and, you know, all power to them. But it doesn't happen for most women that way. And it is 
a learning process for you as a breastfeeding parent. It is a learning process for your baby as a breastfeeding baby. And there are so many different permutations of how to do it. You could be an exclusive pumping parent. You can be um, a combo. I just did a, a post on um, Instagram about doing the combo, both formula and breast milk. Um, you could do exclusive breastfeeding. And there are so many different ways. And here, here's, you know, we always learned about how amazing breast milk is and your baby's going to have a higher IQ and, and no, you know, health issues. And again, more research has showed us that it's not so black and white. Yes, breast milk is amazing. There are things in breast milk that we can't replicate in formula, the antibodies and some of the stuff that we probably haven't even studied yet. But it's not so black and white that if you feed your baby formula, that your baby won't get into, you know, the top-notch schools or that, um, you know, he'll have a lower IQ. It's just not true. The studies show that it's just not true. Those long-term benefits are not as black and white. They are there, but they're not so black and white that you as a parent should feel guilty that I didn't um, feed my baby this particular way. So, so I, I think that, again, giving ourselves as parents grace, giving other parents grace to be able to understand that not everybody is going to do things exactly the same way because it doesn't, I mean, if you have a mom who has cracked nipples and clogged ducts and mastitis and is literally bleeding from pain, the baby doesn't latch, the baby's crying, the baby's losing weight. These are, these are not reasons to shame anybody because they've chosen to, to go all bottle feeding, right? So we have to really understand the bigger picture and the long-term um, instead of really saying if I don't do it this way perfectly, I failed as a parent. It's just not true. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's so true. It's so hard too. I found that like, so I, I was an exclusive pumper with my first, um, didn't latch, you know, had this really, I'm going to say quote unquote, uncomplicated, relatively easy, straightforward birth, unmedicated, no epidural, all good. I, it was a good, great, you know, I was able to have the birth I was hoping for. And then she latches and I was like, I can't handle this pain. <laughs> I just gave birth unmedicated. And now my nipple is like, it's like you're taking an iron to my nipple, a hot iron. I can't do this. And it was, you know, and she, anyways, long story short, this is, this isn't about that, but it's so, I think we need to show ourselves and each other more grace because unless you've experienced that, it's sometimes hard to understand, you know, and then with my second he was one of those like very easy latches, no problem. Like was not a, like, just like came out, like, you know, and they were like, I've never seen a baby latch that easily. Oh my goodness. But if he had been my first, okay. Hypothetically, it would have been, I might've been someone's like, what's the big deal? Breastfeeding is so easy. Everyone just breastfeed. Like been potentially more apt to judge other people, you know, cause I didn't understand how hard it can actually be. And I think, you know, and this is the thing until you walked a mile in someone else's shoes, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's, and I, I think what's so important, even in what you just said is that each child is different, right? So not only is every parent different, but each child, even in the same family is different. And, and I started, my first um, was one of those really easy babies latched on in two seconds, slept through the night at six weeks, like, like, Look, quote unquote, perfect baby. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm such a great parent. I, I'm doing it all <laughs> right. I am amazing. And then my second one was born 20 months later. And she's a wonderful person now. But as a baby, she was what we would label as a difficult baby, was not sleeping, was crying all the time, et cetera. And I'm thinking, 
oh, maybe I'm not such a good parent after all. But what I realized as she grew, grew older, and then of course I had two others who were also so different, is that every child is different. And as a parent, what we have to remember is that that understanding our kids, understanding our babies, starting with babies, then toddlers, preschoolers, and then as they get older, really getting to know that child will help us be a better parent for that child. So there is no one perfect child or one perfect way to parent. But as we get to know our kids, and I, I say this, um, you know, I have a newborn course and, and one of a, a video course. And one of the things that I say probably ad nauseum is... Um, take the time to get to know your baby. So you're exhausted in those first six to eight weeks. But if you get to know your baby, you will start to, to, to hear what your baby is saying to you. You will start to discern the different cries. You will know when your baby is tired. You will know when your baby is hungry. It's not rocket science in a way, but learning how to watch your individual baby and that, that baby will be different from, let's say, a, a previous baby that you may have had or um, your, your, your niece or your nephew that you thought yours would be like. But when you get to know your individual baby, then you really, again, feel more confident as a parent because the, your baby will cry and you'll be like, oh, she's hungry. I, I could tell that's the hunger cry. Or, you know, he'll start to like suck on his fingers. Oh, okay. That, that means he's tired, right? Because you know your baby. Some babies will suck on their finger when they're hungry, but your baby sucks on their fingers when they're, when they're tired. So that will help you feel empowered and confident and feel good about yourself as a parent. And understanding that each baby is different because that's really, it's a really important thing because we, again, have this image in our head, whether it's based on what we see others doing or what we see um, ourselves doing with a, with an with a older child, that it's not necessarily going to be the same way each time. And so, and twins for, for you, Lexi, right? Even though they're born at the same time, they are still just siblings, which means they're still going to be different. Um, so it's 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 a good it's a good lesson to keep in mind and to not stress right that wait he's eating she's not eating what's going on no they're different they're different kids and so they have different needs yeah having to <laughs> figure out two babies at the same time oh this one's this yeah it's going to be awesome <laughs> but i, I think you it's such it. good advice of of just the differences between siblings and 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 also from parent to parent knowing that because like with breastfeeding and Nikki my friends I've had friends who had the exact same experience where it was more they say they would go through childbirth over and over again over breastfeeding because it was so painful like they could not handle it and 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 then the next baby was very different experience. So, but it's comparing yourself to someone else who's having an easy experience with it. And instead of looking at, well, no, it's just like the babies are so different. You're not, it's not a one size fits all type thing. And I think that's really important for everyone to hear from you. So. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I was wondering, actually, before we wrap up, I'm curious to know, you know, could you kind of list out maybe the top three questions you get asked the most from parents? I think that would be interesting. And I'm just curious. So what are like the top questions, like about anything, any topic? Taking notes. Asked? Yeah. <laughs> Taking notes. So we talked about one of them, which is feeding solids. That seems to be very um, stressful for parents, probably because as we discussed, there's so many different methods that parents um, are encountering now. And there are um, so many competing um, pushes. You have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. So that I would say probably um, is one of the top questions that I get all the time. You know, how should I start? 
Um, there's also so much stress around starting, um, especially with the baby led weaning method, um, the finger food method, um, because, uh, and this probably, I guess this is maybe the second most uh, asked question. Um, I want to give my baby finger foods is what a parent will say. But then every time I do that, they, ch they choke. And um, I always, my first response to that is, is it choking or is it gagging? Because those are two completely separate things. And I want to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. And then when I kind of drill down on, on it, they realize, no, it's gagging. Um, so that also is a very frightening thing for parents um, in the beginning. So maybe that's 1A <laughs> because it's sort of the same thing as, as solids. So there's a lot of questions surrounding um, solids. Um, another question that I, that I get a lot is um, about sleep. And I would say that probably most of the, the parenting coaching that I do surrounds sleep. Um, you know, should I sleep train? I actually call it sleep teach. I don't like the phrase sleep train. I think that we're teaching our children, uh, our babies to have healthy sleep habits. Um, and there's many ways of doing that. Um, so there's a lot of questions of should I or shouldn't I? Should I let my baby cry? I mean, I don't, I don't recommend ever putting your baby in the crib and walking out and letting your baby cry. I do tell parents that there probably will be some crying um, when you're trying to help your baby learn how to fall asleep. But um, that's a question that I get all the time. How do I get my baby to sleep through the night? How do I get my baby to sleep through naps? How do I get my baby to sleep alone in the crib or the bassinet without being on me, right? Without me having to carry them, rock them, et cetera. Lots of questions. And, 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 it's, and I actually love this question, Nikki, that you've asked because it's helpful for parents to hear that they're not the only ones stressing about it, wondering about it, thinking about it. You know, everybody is struggling with, the, the feeding solids, the, the choking slash gagging. Everyone is struggling with their baby who doesn't sleep. I mean, it's very common for a baby not to sleep. And we always think like, oh, of course, you know, that person, their baby slept through the night, you know, really, really easy with, with zero problem and no crying. And it was blissful. And it's just not true. I, I, I will tell you as the recipients of these questions, all parents are struggling with the same things. Um, so that, that maybe it's, it's from that place of, okay, we're all in it together and we all are, are worrying about the same things and, and wondering about the same things and dealing with the same things and going through the same steps of, well, should I do this? That doesn't feel right for me. My gut's telling me that. Um, so it's helpful to, to remember that you're not in it alone. We're, you're a, a, a group of parents who are all dealing with the same things. Um, I think that was two. So the third thing I think is, um, I always get asked about milestones a lot and, and parents are wondering and worried about, you know, when should my baby roll over? When should he start to crawl? When should she be sitting? Um, and then the follow-up question is, but wait, my baby isn't rolling over yet. Is that a problem? Should I be worried? Um, so, so again, I always remind parents that every baby is different and on his or her own developmental timeline. And so um, your baby is unique and therefore will will reach those milestones in, in, in the way that she or he is supposed to reach them. And so... Um, and here's a great juxtaposition of not uh, when you should not worry about something and also how you should um, be empowered to help your baby reach those milestones. So give your baby tummy time, make sure your baby is not cooped up in seats all day. Let your baby explore on the floor in different positions, tummy, back, side. This will help encourage your baby to reach those, those motor milestones. Um, give your baby toys that, that allow, as, you know, as they get a little older, allow that hand-eye coordination, that fine motor skills, that pincer grasp as they get closer to eight, nine months old. If you don't give your baby the opportunities 
for the milestones, then of course your baby will not reach them, right? Your baby, ha- I mean, eventually all your babies will all reach those milestones, but the more opportunities you give for your baby to reach them, speak a lot, talk to your baby so they hear language that will help with language milestones, sing to your baby, smile at your baby. Those are social emotional milestones, right? If you interact with your baby, that's all your baby really needs. Your baby just needs your love and your interaction. Um, your baby will be fine and will reach those milestones um, when the time is right for your baby. And one little caveat is if your gut is telling you that something's not right, that your baby's not reaching those milestones, if you're a little worried, not that you're worried just because you're worried because we all worry, but like your gut is telling you, you know, he should be rolling over by now. It's it's something, something feels off. Don't, don't keep it to yourself. Speak to your doctor, talk to, talk to, you know, the pediatrician, and, and you will get the reassurance that you are seeking, or if your baby is delayed, then early intervention will make the world of a difference. And so getting that, uh, you know, getting into that world of, of, oh, wait a second, your baby may need a little physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech therapy. The earlier you get to do it with your baby, the better for your child. And so don't feel shy if there's some like nagging doubt inside of you that's saying "Mm, something doesn't feel right. So again, it's all about trusting your intuition about the parenting philosophy that you choose, the parenting steps that you take, the the parenting, you know, feeling that you're feeling. Listen to yourself because you're actually smarter than you think you are probably is what I would say to parents. You you got this. Like you, you, you know a lot more than you probably think you know. What a good message. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. so helpful. And and those three topics, I would doubt, I mean, they'd be the top of my list. So I still have sleeping issues with Clark. He's up way too early. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have twins coming, buddy. You got to get it together. But all of this is so helpful. We're so appreciative of you coming on the podcast. And I know everyone's walking away with a lot of really good tips and tricks. When is your new book going to be coming out? Spring 2023. So we have a while, but I'm knee deep in the the editing of the manuscript. It's going to be, um, I think, a great book because it won't be overwhelming. It's going to be the the essential information that you need to know for your baby's first year. And and it's illustrated with the most adorable illustrations. So um, you're able to like really get the information quickly, which, um, you know, parents of of little kids don't have a lot of time. So it's really, it's really um, geared to today's generation of parents. And I'm really excited about that. Amazing. Well, hopefully we can have you back on when you launch the book. That would be so fun. I love that. That's yeah, we'll do a twin rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But by then you'll have like a year under your belt. So you'll be the experts. Oh yeah. (laughs) Right. We'll see about that. (laughs) No, it's very, yeah, we're so appreciative. And I actually, uh, Nikki and I were on your Instagram and love, like it's, it's so easy for moms to go on and find like exactly what you're looking for. The milestones you spoke to like mm-hmm. quick, like here's this many months and here are the key milestones. All of that is really, really great and helpful. So everyone can check out that. Um, we'll link everything in the show notes, of course. And thank you so much. It's been so lovely meeting you and uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I loved uh, chatting with both of you um, and it was so much fun and I'm, I'm love to do it again. Amazing. Absolutely. Thank you again. You're amazing. 
Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.